0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everyone. Hello, Mr. Isaac. Hi. How do you feel about that, Mr. Isaac? Is Pretty what fancy. happens when I get
1: in trouble and go to the principal?
0: <laughs> if you know Mike Isaac at all, I want you to take a moment and appreciate the suit. <laughs> you guys should be very flattered. This is a suit they'll bury me in (laughs) Maybe tonight (laughs) It's going to be great My name is Molly Wood I am the host of the Marketplace Tech Radio Show And I am very excited to be on stage alongside my friend Mike Isaac Thanks so much for asking me to do this Thank you Uh, As a tech reporter for the New York Times Mike has broken Countless stories on the good and increasingly the bad sides of Silicon Valley. He is now the author of the fantastic new book, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber, which I have to say I saw on a list of 29 memes about Silicon Valley.
1: Memes? Yep. Already? Your book
0: has already been memed. That's that's better than a yep. bestseller list. It's amazing. <laughs> it chronicles the rise and fall of, of course, one of tech's biggest startups and uh, most fascinating stories and its controversial founder and former CEO, Travis Kalanick, with impressive detail excruciating detail incredible <laughs> detail mike builds the story of this company that i think we all know so much about hell-bent on growth and world domination uh in the winner take all of silicon valley so we're going to talk about super pumped uber travis and much more for the next hours. So ladies and gentlemen mike isaac Thank you. congratulations Thank you. on the book um Thanks. so hey how'd you get here tonight
1: Oh, God, I did take an Uber here. Did you take an Uber here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
0: so you're still using it.
1: Yeah, there was a period I wasn't using it, probably for about two years. Um, But it wasn't really out of a moral stance or anything, you know? I I mean, I I cover Facebook, too, and I still use Facebook, and I cover Instagram and use these. Um, It was more because uh, two of my sources specifically told me to delete it from my phone because they were worried about... Getting tracked, or like me being tracked when I would go to meet them. So, oh, really? Yeah. So it was more out of like precaution.
0: But you didn't. That wasn't a concern during the book. Now we're like into a whole other story. I was not expecting. Tell me yeah, more. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> no. I mean, it definitely. Uh, I mean, these apps are, you know, mass surveillance mechanisms, essentially. You know, and if if the the company, some of the people I talked to were more paranoid, but if the company or someone at the company wanted to, they could have seen where um where either of us or any of us are at, at any time so yeah. i had to delete it
0: um not anymore what if that was not it <laughs> and actually happy, having read the book it's kind of not if you had to pick a thing that surprised you the most like a thing you did not know mm. when you started writing this book what do you think it would be
1: um i think pfft, There was a lot more violence than I was, like, prepared for Uh, in... in, uh,
0: Good good chuckles, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Nervous laughter. No, there was...
1: um, You know, Uber is not like um, a web uh, traditional Internet company where you just sort of, like, hack something together and get it going or, you know, for Facebook or Twitter or whatever. um, Those just kind of got up and running um, pretty quickly. Like, this is actually introducing stuff into the physical world right it's like it's like you know people call uh using their phone they call a call a car and it comes there and and there's all sorts of dynamics that change once you introduce that into an economy so in brazil um there's this one part in the book where um you know uh uber enters into brazil at probably one of the worst times in the country's uh, economy they're in the middle of this recession unemployment is skyrocketing um and They introduce Uber into the into the country and uh, it's largely cash based. And so all the drivers that start uh, driving for Uber essentially become these like rolling ATMs that um, uh, burglars start, you know, ending up essentially like beating up the drivers or in some cases murdering the drivers and taking all their money. And so like. It was. It didn't make as many headlines in the United States. It was. Um, there were. There were other types of really messed up things. I'm starting really serious. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'll dial us back. <laughs> but it. But it. Um, it's just. It. It feels very different than the first wave of of web companies, at least, just because it's you're in the real world. It's it's meat space, you
0: know. Which is actually. It's amazing in some ways. We're starting at the end there a little mm-hmm. bit in the sense that you got to figure that that was. Among many things that this company may have been naive about, and we 'll get to actual malice later, yeah. um, one may have been that right that it was sort of like we 'll just we 'll just take this approach we 'll just copy and paste this thing all over America with you know these city managers who had all of this autonomy and all of this power, and then we 'll do the same thing in different countries, and what could go wrong?
1: yep, no, I mean, I think that is a tried and true playbook out here too, probably, you know, and again, you can go back to, uh, I mean, I use Facebook as a reference point a lot, but, uh, uh, you know, you go back to this idea of we're, we're going to hack something together and we're going to get out there really quickly. Um, uh, and when you're a, a small company, you kind of have to move very quickly or else you, you might run out of funding or, or people don't care about what you're doing or whatever. So it's, it's, I think, like, a lot of the time there might be some, like, founders in the audience, but a lot of the time it's just sort of, like, get it out there fast and then we'll think about... How the consequences afterwards, you know, but, um, uh, I think there was, it just in Uber's case, there were a lot more unintended consequences and they were bigger than, uh, you know, like accidentally leaking your photos or something. It was, Mm -hmm. it was serious.
0: So let's start a little closer to the beginning. Go back a little closer to the beginning. There's, there's kind of a couple aspects to the growth of this company. And one is of course the, the rule breaking yeah. And that part of the book, I mean, you can't help even knowing how it's going to end. You can't help but have a tiny bit of admiration. Yeah, totally. For the chutzpah, for the for the idea that like this is a corrupt system and these are not rules that I have to follow. Yeah. So talk about how that starts and then when it starts to go astray.
1: I, I think the thing that was funny to me is that um, it took a lot to get to turn cab drivers into the hero just because like the, the most people just didn't like the experience of riding a cab, right. Yeah. If you go to get in a cab in New York, I would, uh, when I was a little kid and first got into a cab in New York, like I was just scared. I was straight up going to die because it was like a very crazy experience. And, um, and they weren't always, you know, kept very well. And so to turn the cabbies into the hero of the story took some real, <laughs> some real, uh, um, they made a lot of people mad in the beginning. But I, I think the the thing I wanted to do in this book that I don't think um, headlines probably in 2017 and in the past few years got at was turn or at least show the why uh, why Uber had this sort of aggressive stance and why uh, Travis Kalanick, the CEO, was just sort of as hard-charging as possible. And and a lot of that was just because the the barriers to entry in this whole – uh, arena were so high, and the incumbents the, tra- the taxi operators and the livery services were had been there forever right and the The laws that were set up by uh, different governments, different cities around the world were were there to essentially serve the people who had been operating there for a very long time so if you 're uber if you 're a disruptor, if you 're uh, a company that 's like, look, we have a different uh, way of doing this, we have a better way of doing this, we want to uh, use your phone to actually call these cars. There's a lot of sort of Byzantine rules that don't necessarily make sense, and we can we can fix it. Uh, the the incumbents are not going to be happy to do it, so, or at least happy to just usher you in in the spirit of competition. They're going to try to keep you out. So I think from the very beginning, uh, uh, Kalanick and, and others were just like, all right, we have to we have to dive in and start mm-hmm. fighting.
0: And actually, one tidbit that people may not realize too is that. That, I mean, I think everybody knows that Uber started as really a high-end service yep. and that it was Lyft who, start, who first introduced the idea of yeah. using your own car and that Uber then, after failing to sort of use regulation to get Lyft shut down, yeah. said, all right, I guess we're going to break all these same laws too.
1: Yeah, the, 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 my f- f- favorite thing about Uber is, is how they managed to take credit for a lot of things they never did. You know, um, Uber didn't invent... Uh, peer-to-peer or like the the ride-sharing where like anyone can sort of get their thing use their car to, to drive around They were actually black car service first They tried to to prohibit that from happening, but Lyft sort of got that off the ground uh, Uber pool or Lyft line whatever if the carpooling option they use these days um, Lyft was working on that for a very long time and then uber sort of found out about it and ripped him off and and, 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 and st- and sort of announced it before lyft could get out there so um so it's funny but i think great artists steal yeah well i think the thing is it doesn't matter who does it first it matter who does it who does it best yep. right and who does it the biggest and like i will say that, that uber has been good at execution on some of these things and and has and has popularized stuff even if they
0: weren't the first to do it you know so What do you think? I mean, there's a version of this story where Uber comes out as Ray Kroc from McDonald's, Mm. you know, who sort of weaseled the McDonald's empire out from under the original McDonald's empire, but wasn't necessarily villainized for it. Or they come out like Southwest Airlines, yep, like a, a total disruptor that nobody wanted around. What do you think is the point at which... It went wrong. It turned. It yeah. turned. I think they could well, even I, be Lyft, right? Which has a perfectly good reputation.
1: Yeah, I think. I think. Um, I mean, if you go back to 2014, 15, or whatever, I still think that you know, nebulously, people kind of thought that Uber was aggressive or maybe the CEO is a jerk or whatever. But there was never a real. Um, you didn't feel guilty using the service, right? Or you you didn't like have some bad feeling around well, Uber is a bad company. I'm not really quite sure why, right? And and my um, thesis, and, or something I get at in the book that you're alluding to, I think, is just sort of um, this moment of where probably for a very long time tech was on this, uh, or tech coverage, the way I think a lot of people in the world viewed it, was on this trajectory of that we're doing this to improve the world. This is, you know, we have good intentions in our hearts. If you sort of uh, appreciate the boy genius hacker in his room building the next billion dollar company. This will ultimately turn out for the better, and just bear with us right and i think um, i think I honestly think two thousand and sixteen the election was a sort of fracturing point for for a lot of the way people think about tech, you know right after um, Donald Trump was elected, a lot there were headlines that said. Facebook manipulated the election, right? Or, you know, Russia was sort of uh, spreading misinformation throughout social networks, and this is something we hadn't caught on to. Or just uh, ways that the the tools that we use every day were being manipulated that we hadn't really suspected or thought of. And I think... I think tech—the way we view it—sort of really turned very sharply, and there was probably a version of 2017 where Facebook would have been the ultimate bad guy, right? And that almost happened. That ended up happening in 2018, but um, uh, I think Uber became this sort of poster child for every bad thing about tech, right? Like a bro-y attitude, um, you know, uh, uh, this obscene excess and like wealth and and raising billions of dollars and. Um, inability to care about the taxi drivers that they're displacing or that they're just sort of um, uh, ruining these livelihoods. And I really think that Travis, you know, I mean, you can say he built a big, big world-changing company and he did, but he also sort of took that entire shift on the chin and, and Uber became the poster child for that.
0: So do you think minus the tech backlash... That the the lax behavior around data or the sexual harassment within the company. Yeah, like, that's, that's
1: not to say they weren't incle- like would, innocent.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I there is probably look a lot of bad stuff slipped by when people weren't looking, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think it's fair to say that some of it might have <clears throat> have gone by, but it does seem like this is a. I mean, clearly, as the book demonstrates, this is a unique character in terms of sort of the combination of drive and amorality. Yeah, I think
1: that's a perfect way to put it. I think I think his uh, Travis Kalanick, the founder and CEO, former CEO, his version of morality was more about the ends rather than the means. I think you know, and and um, he did have a, a ver- he does have a version of of what he believes are uh, the principles he wants to stick by. I just think that they're not widely shared
0: <laughs> Super pump Super pump. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell, oh, the us, where the, the tell us where the title, came tell from. Yeah. What the
1: title means. So, um, so Travis uh, In 2015 there was this um, He took everyone in the company to this um, very large retreat in Las Vegas uh, For hitting a milestone a growth milestone and part of that was uh, just sort of to celebrate and uh, it ended up being a twenty-five million dollar party in Las Vegas for you know more than ten thousand, fifteen thousand employees. Uh, they had Beyonce play, which was uh, nice for them. And uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just
0: I, I'm just gonna say that I know a person who was at this party, and I got these texts really? that I was not supposed to get. You know, like <laughs> she'd be like, "I can't say that much, but Beyonce." <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: it was it was all out, and I think I think the so. In the middle of this, you know, week-long bacchanal, uh, Travis comes out and does his presentation to employees, where he's he wants to sort of give a set of values to the company, right? And I think this is very much a, um, in the vein of tech. Sort of, um, I mean, this is something that I think tech differs differs from another center of power, say Wall Street. Like they have to sort of. Um, form a, a value system that like guides guides the company and what they're doing and and sometimes i think or a lot of the time i think that people like believe that but i i don't always think it i think it can also be sort of characteristic of what the company is like and so in that vein travis's uh some of his values were uh always be hustlin', um <laughs> super pumped was one of them um uh, be an owner, not a renter, you know, just sort of it was like a of like
0: your cubicle. I I, yeah, never quite yeah quite sure what that was supposed to mean. Toe stepping,
1: meritocracy. It was just very much like like Ayn Rand meets Wolf of Wall Street sort of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I mean that's fine, you know. I mean it was but it was just very much this is the type of company that you're working at. Yeah. And I think some people in the some people in the audience were like all in like they're like all right yeah this is awesome and then some were like is this guy kidding you know
0: were those people the grown-ups because (laughs) i do feel like and i'm only i'm sort of semi-serious here it does feel like a bit of what happened with uber is it's one thing if you're i mean i think we're seeing this now right like the cult of the founder is still very real you talk a lot about this sort of founder dynamic and that there is an a huge aspect of hero worship That goes into a lot of this that even now people are reluctant to leak from within Facebook because they believe. Um, Totally. And I wonder at what point you think Travis lost the crowd.
1: Mm, I think for uh, a lot of the early years. Yeah, definitely when the company was smaller. I mean, the, the whole when a company is really uh, in trouble is when they lose their people and lose their like employees, right? Like Facebook had a nightmare 2018. And that, because that was largely because a lot of the leaks that were coming out of there were from people who, who were like, Oh, maybe we're not doing good. Or maybe this um, ethnic cleansing in Myanmar was partially our fault. And that's really a scary thing. Right. And so once you shake the faith of the employees, I think your company's really in trouble. And so, um, uh, Uber in 2015, at this point, is a mix of the young, super pumped guys and uh, and adults who have like a kid and a mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the people those tended to be the folks who would talk to me a little bit more and and like <laughs> not fully buy into the the philosophy and just uh, just want to like do their job, you know? Yeah.
0: Okay, and then let's talk about Bill Gurley who is a character who looms large throughout this story because he really starts out as somebody who deeply wants to be part of this business model. Yep. Which we're going to get to later. Yep. Um, This is the venture capitalist. Bill Gurley is everybody pretty familiar with benchmark capital. So he really becomes the sort of like the best friend in some way, not as good a friend as Emil Michael, but the friend, the mentor, you know, the investor. And eventually a little bit like the Judas Mm. Travis Kalanick's worst fear, you know, the guy who basically comes in and and takes him down. Yeah. Talk about that relationship because that is highly unusual, right? Like venture capital really maybe to the detriment of all of us likes to maintain a hands-off attitude. Like we just give them the money. Maybe we have a board seat, but we don't initiate a coup. (laughs) Right. So,
1: um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to assume we're not spoiling. It's a very exciting book. You guys, uh, it is kind of fun. (laughs) um, so, for those who don't know, Bill Gurley is this legendary venture capitalist. He was um he's part of um Benchmark, which is a VC firm. They've done big investments in eBay and uh Nextdoor and uh Stitch Fix. And so <coughs> Excuse me. So Gurley uh uh he's this it's really funny. He's this very tall character. Apparently, someone told me after, the, um, after I wrote this book that I have an obsession with height in in the, my characters.
0: <laughs> it does come so, up.
1: So you're going to see a lot of height references, and that's... <laughs> I need to talk to my therapist about that. But... Uh, um, I wore flats. Gurley... <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you. Um,
1: Gurley is this figuratively and literally larger-than-life character. He's like 6'9 or something. Um, but he's... Looking for, you know, the way VCs work, I think, a lot is they look for a category that they want to be into. And it, back in 2008 or nine, ride, ride hailing, ride sharing, that sort of like iPhone meets uh, call a car thing is still nascent, but it's like kind of bubbling up. So there's like, if you can even remember what Taxi Magic or Cabulous or a lot of these different companies are around. But VCs, I think, also bet on the person, Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they met, you know, Gurley and his partner, Matt Kohler, met um, Travis early on. And, you know, I think they saw this guy and Travis is a serial entrepreneur at this point. He's done two startups. One one was a failure. He got sued to oblivion. The other one was like a base hit. And so he wanted like a real, real startup uh, at this point. And so so Benchmark Invest, they're early investors. They get in into series uh, I want to say A or B. I need to go look. And uh, um, and the whole point of being a VC is you're the mentor, you're supporting your founder, you're founder-friendly. If you're not founder-friendly in the Valley, that's sort of antithetical to how VCs sort of operate, right? So I think that by later in the, the book and, you know, when when the VC and the board members essentially have to, like, turn on the founder, like, turn on this the monster that Frankenstein made or whatever you want to call it, like they, it becomes even more significant because of uh Gurley has to put his reputation of being founder friendly on the line, right? If you, if you betray your CEO, if you sort of remove the, the, the person who is the head of your company, because, because <clears throat> you don't think they're going to make it, that stains your rep forever in the Valley. Right. And maybe, maybe you're not able to make investments in other companies in the future. So I think it really, Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I think it really, like, heightened the drama of why they were going to do it and why ultimately it ends up so messy and in public. And, like, um, it was intense, you know? And I think everyone has, like, PTSD around the whole thing, Mm -hmm. too. That's kind of a joke, but not, because everyone... Every time I talk... I've been talking to ex-employees now since the book has come out, and some of my sources are like, I can't even read this. I can't even
0: go back through it again because it just brings up that nightmare year for me. What? <clears throat> you know i still sort of come back to this because there there are lots of founders with lots of issues yeah S- most of them don't rise all the way to travis kalanick level yeah but some do there are real questions about elon musk like sure why <laughs> I'm not saying they're for me <laughs> I'm just saying they exist um What was the real threat? What is the exit is the actual existential threat that Uber goes under?
1: I think the the moment that freaked out everyone. So back in 2017, if you can remember, um, this was pre there were a few things I think that happened in really short succession. One. Uh, again, I go back to Trump because Trump had just gotten elected. Uh, he brings the travel ban down and that was like the first real action, uh, that he took. I think everyone was, uh, at least people in San Francisco were like, is this, is he going to follow through on some of the things that he's, he promised in the run up to office. And so there was a real outsized, uh, reaction from folks. People were going to the airports and, and like lawyers are trying to help out. Uh, and so, um, uh, to make a long story short uber does this like tweet basically that says we're going to uh turn off surge pricing in new york uh when the taxi drivers were like protesting this travel ban and it was interpreted to mean that uh uber was being a bunch of scabs right and they were trying to profit off of the the taxi strike and everyone freaks out and this guy on the internet um named bro pair uh on twitter <laughs> who i have a i mean a, it's it 's funny that I have a chapter in my book devoted to this Twitter thing, but it really it like it, this guy starts a movement where he says we need to delete uber we need to like this this company represents everything bad about capitalism, about Silicon Valley, about not standing up to in the face of you know injustice um, and I think a lot of folks who are sitting there worried about um, or sort of wanting to do something, wanting to be a part of of whatever resisting what was going on could like concretely delete their app. They could they could be like, all right, I'm deleting Uber. I'm going to screenshot this and then put it out into ether. And this was something that I did. And, you know, it seemed like a uh, um, uh, like a s- small symbol, but it ended up being half a million accounts were deleted within the span of a couple of days. So it it started freaking out the VCs when it started harming the
0: business, I would say. Yeah. So many places to go from there. Um, well, you have a lot of questions. I do. I know. I have a lot of questions. I'm gonna like, actually, you're right. I'm gonna stop thinking and let you guys do the work for a minute. Um, we have two questions that are are somewhat along the same lines about your reporting and how Mm. you did it. Um, we don't want to get you to give it all away, but you know, there's one that says, How did, well, okay, A, it also says, How's Bruna? (laughs) <laughs> For those who don't know, Mike has a very famous is Twitter my dog. dog
1: that I did not bring. But I'm surprised that, that, there's
0: only one of these so
1: far. I know, right? So, my, you, my dog is doing good. I'm sorry I didn't bring her. She's <laughs> much more entertaining than I am. It would have been really distracting. Yeah, she would have had a panic attack and run out of the
0: room. Oh, she's nuts! <laughs> oh, I know. Now we're like, see, she's totally distracted. Um, you had to build a lot of trust at a time when really this whole company had this bunker mentality. Um, yeah. Maybe not the whole company, clearly, because you did build this sort of, like, network of, of sources. And, and, mm. and it's a question, you know, how did you sneak into the Uber all-hands meeting? So tell us that, <laughs> A, because I think we all need to know that. Uh, um, but, and then also, how do you cultivate sources in such a sort of dangerous territory, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, no, I think... Source. I was just talking to another reporter about this the other day, and I think everyone just has a different style on sourcing, you know, and, and I've had I've worked for people who are just super aggressive and will or I know people who will just call up uh, five people and just browbeat them into to, to talking to them. Like, just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I hear. And like, finally, they acquiesce and actually just say whatever they're trying to get. Um, that is not my style. <laughs> I I uh, I um I don't know. I think uh, a lot of it is just sort of being open to what's going on and, and, uh, weirdly, you know, just having a constant dialogue with people online. I've had a lot of inbound over the years from, uh, I mean, it's tired, but from my Twitter account, like just having, just like being myself on there, you know? And I think, I think people can, um, Relate if they can feel like they relate to you and like talk to you and you and you say reasonably intelligent things about what's going on and um then it just is a way to uh get inside and you know like stories this is like journalism one one, but stories lead to more stories, so like once I've been covering Uber since I joined The Times in twenty fourteen so uh I had like some advantage at least but um but yeah, I think a lot of it was, and you know like my other thing too is uh just. Um, it, it's easy to just rail against Uber and call them this avatar of gross, you know, excess and nastiness. And and I think that there are good people inside that worked, worked and work there, you know, and, and people that want to do the right thing. And and some of the people that I talked to uh, were disturbed by some of the stuff that was happening in there. Or like They were like, all right, well, I signed up for this, but I did not want to do that. And mm-hmm. so they can recognize that and and feel like they're enacting some sort of change and and leaking something to New York Times usually helps affect change.
0: Turns out. (laughs) Turns out. What what did people say was their breaking point? You know, we talked about how delete Uber was a bit of a breaking point for investors. What what was the thing? Was it Susan Fowler? I think
1: it was. So Susan Fowler. I'm sure a lot of people, if you're here, you probably know her. But she's uh, the former employee who wrote a blog post that detailed her history of harassment at the company. Um, Again, this was like pre Harvey Weinstein, uh, Me Too, uh, uh, real momentum towards the end of the year. It was February of 2017. So, and even the valley hadn't had its like full reckoning on you know, how women are treated and how VCs sort of like, uh, you know, are, can often be disgusting towards women who are trying to raise money for their companies or whatever. So, uh, so this was, I think, uh, Susan wrote this post. She just like hit it, uh, hit publish, uh, and just put it out into the ether. And I remember getting like four or five texts from different people saying, this is blowing up inside. This is going to be a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it really just put a voice to a lot of the um, nastiness or a lot of the the, the unprofessional, uh, uh, childish, whatever, like the things that inside of Uber shouldn't happen at a company of that size. And that's when. Yeah, that's when the dam started breaking and everyone just started talking, not just to me, to like a lot of different reporters. Yeah, there were a lot of people on this story, so it was very competitive.
0: Um, I want to talk more about culture in a minute, but I also want to ask about, in Susan Fowler's post, you know, one of the things that was so appalling to read Mm -hmm. was that over and over, uh, people who were accused and even found to have committed misconduct were not disciplined because they were doing a good job at growth. Yep. And— that growth in particular, you could argue, is a big difference even between Travis Kalanick and the the CEOs of Lyft or CEO of Lyft, which is, is growth at all costs, quite literally. And I feel like that post made the cost of that so clear. Yeah. Do you think there's been like a broader reckoning with the idea of how distorting a forced growth can be? How when that's your metric? I mean, that's uh, yeah. arguably the problem at Facebook, too.
1: Totally. No, I think I think there is this. I mean, I have a. Uh, there's a line in there or, or just like grow, you have to grow or die, right? That's what a startup, that, I mean, and, and like this is where I try to come in, in with a sense of empathy around being a founder and being like a small startup. It's like you literally have to get people to use your product and or like your company's dead, right? Or you can't raise that next round or you can't do the next whatever. But I think that mindset has just been – internalized and and spread throughout the valley as this like gospel of growth and that that is kind of sort of a blind faith that is is abused in a lot of different ways and i think that played out earlier on um in the the facebook days i think facebook did a lot of different growth hacking they call them growth hackers and now growth hacking is like a a skill set right there's a lot of different it's the new seo weird tricks that you can do to like grow your company and if n- normal people knew that you were doing them maybe they wouldn't like it you know i think a lot of it um is predicated on information asymmetry and not 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 knowing what these companies are doing you know mm-hmm. so uber <laughs> uber embodied that and then also like that's where um growth at all costs started to crash into like very real consequences like part of the reason why drivers were getting murdered in brazil was because they didn't apply proper um identity checks into signups on uh for riders right and so there were moments where the executives were like well drivers are getting murdered but we don't want to slow down our growth we don't want to add more friction in the process so we can't f- change this so what are we going to do and finally there were enough people that are like, dude, people are getting killed. Right. You need to change this, right? So uh
0: and they But it seems like at every opportunity, even people who were who were brought in to try to change that mindset yeah. would run up against this just like brick wall of Travis's ambition.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the thing. If you put if you hit your numbers, you were golden. And I think that was the sort of unspoken law of being protected. And that's not even specific to Uber. I think that can occur in like a lot of companies that just sort of uh, become corrupted by hitting metrics, getting sort of getting to that next level of growth or whatever. But I think in, inside of Uber specifically, it was uh, that was the thing that kept a lot of people safe for probably too
0: long. Yeah. You know. I mean, granted, it, you make the really valid point that all of this was happening at the same time, this kind of tech backlash and, and the idea yeah. that, you know, we all sort of knew how much found, founders were idolized, but we hadn't necessarily, we hadn't necessarily connected the dots in terms of how they create a culture that doesn't just impact the people who work there, which mm. is significant, but it impacts the product. That, that, you know, that the, the culture gets built <laughs> into the product. Yep. And that in Uber, that had very, like you said, real world consequences. Is this the first time we ever really put that together?
1: Reckon with that? Well, yeah. I, it's it, it. I think it was made very real, but it's it's also something that we're interrogating right now with um, bias and AI, right? Or how how uh, uh, you know the people behind the products that we use and the people making them inform the types of decisions that. We, that are made and that and and what types of of things are, are we, we like basically if like only young white men in a square patch of california are the ones that are creating things that shape the world then it's going to be probably a very comfortable world for young white men but if you're not spreading that dna of what your company looks like to be more representative of the world that you're serving then it's you're gonna just have a very specific outcome and i think now only now we're really starting to ask more of those questions of like who are we building for and why and who's doing the building and uh I, I i think some companies are getting better at that i think they're they're trying but it's it's been a uh, we like i i don't think the question has really been that that asked for some time you know yeah
0: well and i mean i guess that leads me to ask in response to that, like your book is asking those questions we're and we're, we've sort of like moved on, like this is all <clears throat> the Uber thing is taken <laughs> care of, which, you know, we'll pick up in a second. But mm. my real question is like, do you think Bill Gurley would make the same decision today though? Like, do you think that really that much has changed in retrospect?
1: You know, it's funny. Um, I think about this, uh, on my worst days, uh, I'll probably say I'm, I mean, everyone that was early on uber is a billionaire you know travis is a billionaire five times over um anyone who invested early is like crazy rich there's the found the lockup period on uber shares are is going to expire pretty soon and there's gonna be waves of selling um there's uh, entirely new venture funds being created uh, out of the wealth that was created from uber you know so like did everyone learn their lesson probably not (laughs) but uh at the same time you know i think i do think that um this is gonna be cheesy but like i'll talk to um new uh first time like young you know people who want to be engineers or whatever or like want to start a company or want to start a small business and say look i don't want to uh, I don't want to do it like that. You know, I don't want to I don't want to be a nightmare on wheels like like uh, uber was or or uh, Have to step down because my culture is just completely disgusting by a certain point and I want to be more Conscious of the company that I'm building from the very beginning and I think that that's hopeful at least you know or at, la- at the very least like um, People can demand more out of the, the, the products that they use and the companies that they they sort of patronize so That's that would be the the hopeful part of it, but I don't know.
0: That's a question here, actually, uh, Mm. about how we tend to romanticize tech entrepreneurs. You know, like they're these these cowboys, these cowwomen, (laughs) cowwomen. That's really (laughs) none of those terms have aged well, it turns out. Um, (laughs) And it says, what are your thoughts on consumer responsibility? Consumer well, responsibility no, you know, totally. now that there are these serious ethical problems But we were kind of like I didn't really think about where the driver came from. Yep. I, I mean
1: I think a lot of it is vote with your feet, you know, I mean like it's really hard to get I drove here. Yeah Yeah, well see you're better <laughs> better person than I am uh, No, so what is a control freak when it <laughs> when it comes to convenience versus like ideals it's really hard to beat convenience. I think for normal for normal people, you know, who are not steeped in this all the time and are stuck in uh, Petrero at like eleven o'clock at night and need to get home, you know, like maybe it's easier to to press a button and or whatever. You know, um, I do think that the conversation is being had more right now. Like the way that people look at Facebook right now is kind of indicative of of. That mindset shifting you know like some like um, there are people who won 't use it on principle, or there are folks who refuse to go there because they think it 's not a positive force in the world and that's that was like that was crazy like, like three or four years ago. I remember people would kill to get into face facebook was it was Facebook and Google really, and now they 're having this sort of reckoning, so I do think. Um, at least the the question is there you know but at, at the end of the day it really is about what people are willing to give up
0: mm-hmm. and that's hard since uh the book was published uber's public now yeah they've had a round of layoffs of f- over 400 people yeah it was today um today and there's a question here that says what does this mean for the future of uber or its competitors and and you know, in some ways the chapters are ongoing because now it seems like there are at long last some real questions about the business,
1: the business model. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean the, I think the world is really different from when Travis started this company from where it is now, you know, back then, um, uh, I get into it in the book, but there's this. He was he was unbelievable at raising money. Like this company raised more than 10 billion dollars in private capital. There were um, uh, mutual funds were starting to like throw in cash. Like everywhere you could start raising money, he found money and just poured it in to their war chest and uh, didn't have that much competition. And I would say he he called the he said our our money is our moat. What a moat a moat being our competitive advantage, the, the thing that's going to keep anyone from usurping our power. Uh, cut to like five, seven years later, and now you can, like, money is much more free flowing in a lot of different markets. SoftBank, uh, entered the, the, the room with its vision fund, a hundred billion dollar, uh, uh, monster wa- waiting to like park cash in any sort of competitor. So whereas once Uber was fighting uh maybe one or two competitors now it's fighting competitors uh, across multiple continents and burning tons of money doing that and so the uber i just felt like there was a moment where uber felt like an inevitability and it doesn't feel like that anymore you know it feels like they their business might not be as sound as, as they thought it was mm-hmm. and now they're trying to get to a point where they can move into other lines of business and that turns out to be very difficult
0: too and I actually heard, and I, I am concerned that this could be the part, the, the start of the redemption tale. <laughs> I heard an uh, an interview that suggested that maybe under Dara Khosrowsahi, Uber's gotten a little boring. <laughs> maybe they need a guy like Travis. Wow. And And actually, my friend who worked at Uber said, you know, listen... You're kidding yourself if you think that Travis is going to go gently into that dark night, mm. and that he's going to start some other thing that he cares about just as much. I mean, how much do you think he's just sitting at home plotting his return, Steve Jobs <laughs> style? <laughs> I mean, is that part of you know? That's part of God. Valley lore.
1: That would uh, would you write make another book? A good story, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: not to be mercenary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I was, I was. That's the other insane thing about writing a book is like the story is constantly happening and you don't know when you're Right. right, right. Like
0: what's what's just happened since that you oh which was in there. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's explore this idea first though. Yeah in, yeah. yeah.
1: No, I think so Travis is um working on this thing now called Cloud Kitchens. He and, doesn't care about that. Uh and he does no, no 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 well that's the thing. It's it is still like symbiotically attached to Uber because it's based on food delivery and uh Uber Eats is one huge arm of growth for Uber in the future. So uh, people at Uber are still kind of like nervous that he he has like one thing still attached to Uber. Um, it's so funny. It's so funny how quickly we forget the trauma of 2017. <laughs> and uh, 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 but there are a lot of people inside who 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 still admire him. There are a lot of people outside who still admire him. He was he instilled faith in a lot of different people. So maybe they're bored of of Silicon Valley's dad. That's what a lot of people called Dara, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Silicon Valley's they, dad. Yeah, it was like the dad of Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very warm. <laughs> but uh uh I don't know, man. I don't know. I I mean, I think the people at the top are just so shaken that it would be very hard for me to see Travis coming back.
0: I mean, look, money talks though. If you had to lay odds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't uh I wouldn't bet. I'm 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 abstaining yeah. from that bet. <laughs> um is travis also just one last question about that sort of that personality type like we're at a we're at a point in america where there does seem to be a currency in not saying sorry in travis's style yeah totally you know like i think we have to look no further than the white house to look at people who double triple quadruple down on the choices that they're making period yep yep Yep. No, I mean, it, it, a lot of people. <laughs> like, is he just the founder
1: of our time? Right, right. I think a lot of a lot of folks who I was talking to when I was going back for this book too just kind of said he had a. Uh, their their point was he had a Trumpian quality about um, creating this reality. Right. This was this was the way forward. This was you know unapologetically how we're going to do it, and. Uh, that was attractive to a lot of people inside, you know, and, and, um, and if, if you are the guy who's just sort of charging hard and, and seem to know what your where your direction is, you know, at least you can get a bunch of different followers that way. So maybe, maybe, maybe he is more emblematic than, than Dara.
0: Yeah. Now he's not in this book. Did you, Dara? no, no, no. no. Uh, I mean, Travis is all, obviously all over this book. Did you talk to him? in the course of writing this? Have you talked to him? Have you heard from him? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Do you, wish, do you wish you could have? Um. Sure.
1: But I think also it, it's harder to write an oppositional book like just sort of like the moment you get cooperation from a primary source, it just colors it, you know? Mm. Like, And so I had to like work around it and, um, you know, we gave them an opportunity for fact checking or whatever, but like it almost made it I mean, I dare I say it almost made it better. I think because I didn't get my hand held throughout the whole thing.
0: If yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. You know? There's a question here that is hard to speak to from that perspective, but I wonder how your sources viewed it. One of the one of the really intense and jarring moments in the book is is Travis Kalanick being confronted uh, with video of himself confronting a driver yep. about their low pay and and just like writhing on the floor Uh saying I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible person. Like what's wrong with me? (laughs) Yeah. Did, do, did the people that you talked to and is it your opinion that that was sincere, that it's a manipulation that it's just like too much going on there?
1: No, 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 totally. Um, I think it's so funny. Even people now who like him or admire him or support him or whatever, still have very mixed feelings about him just because, uh, he's very charming. He's, he's been able to win people over, you know, even the last time, you know, there is a moment in the book that I write about that I see him, um, and uh, it was in, in court uh, for this trial, Waymo versus Uber, and um, he's just immediately charming. He's very disarming. It's very, it's, 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 uh, it's not good for me being a reporter where I'm just like, oh, I want to like this person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he, but anyone, anyone who's like attached to him in some way also has mixed feelings about him and wonder, you know, I talked to one person who was like, did I just believe what I wanted to believe about him all along? because I found out he was lying to me in these other ways, you know, and he probably had a rationale for that. And that's his... Thing or whatever, but I just know that a lot of folks around him have a very complicated thing, so i even the people who are close to him or have been close to him have a hard time pinning down what was real or not hmm.
0: what does it What does it tell you about you know we're we're talking about founder control we're talking about things like dual class structure, which you know, <laughs> gives all of this power to founders, which yeah. we're really. took all the way um but which facebook has also done which google you know had an unusual um, stock structure do you see as you continue to report in the valley any signs that because you know it's interesting like during the dot-com boom there was like the founder culture we have now is a little bit of a response to the dot-com bust in 2001 which was like Back then, everybody said, you know, a founder can only take a company so far, and then we have to bring in a grown-up and take away all their power. Eric Schmidt comes in and does this. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we have this, you know, now we've swung, some would argue, too far the other way. Yeah. Do you see signs of us swinging back toward grown up? No, I, I
1: totally. I think it's really a pendulum. I was. Someone was talking to me about this online today. Uh, it, most of my life exists online, which is really sad. But I, I think. Uh, but there's a dog. There is a dog. Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's. I think it's a pendulum. I think a lot of this sort of moves back and forth based on like really intense extremes, right? If if uh, if at one point Zuckerberg uh, was the platonic ideal of this founder who could grow this amazing company and like build this world changing thing. Then perhaps Travis was like the inverse of that, like give all the control to someone at the top with dual stock structure. It's complicated, but that's in the, it's in the book. It's just sort of like a way of giving the founder control outsized control. Um, And he built all those protections into the company he did. And and that's why it took such drastic measures to to remove him from the company. Mm -hmm. And so I still think we're in a, a phase where founders have more leverage than VCs just because there's more there's more money to go around right now than there has been in a long time but perhaps it will swing back the other way you know I just I think a lot changed since the dot com era where where founders were begging for money and now now all sorts of new money is flooding into the zone and and um I think the founders have the have the high road here.
0: Doesn't that kind of suggest that not that much is going to change? No, that's the real cynical I mean, it's part. Still like ninety percent of ECs are white guys. Like right? Has any is anything changing? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I don't know.
1: I mean, no. I think I think that, I think. Look, maybe people will buy my book. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> and go like. <sighs> maybe maybe I do think I do I I have uh, in all seriousness I have I have met a lot of folks who ex-Uber were just sort of like washed their hands of it or wanted to be like, man, this was just not for me or I, I hope the Valley doesn't have to be like this or I want to build the next company that's not like this. And I think there are people who are very consciously doing that. And the other thing I think about a lot is like, um, tech is not going away, right? Like we, we, we're not just going to sort of um, uh, go into full Luddism and eliminate all of this stuff. And just because we're in an age of Um, tech ruling the world mean and and we're realizing how how important yet dangerous it can be it doesn't mean we're gonna get rid of it all Um, we just I think now we're in a period of finding out how we're comfortable with living in it and what we what we expect of the companies and the products that are around us and I think that that's a good natural progression Yeah,
0: actually along those lines we have some questions about the broader tech industry um, including after what we've seen unfold with Uber and Facebook, what are your thoughts on Google and this sort of this current wave of proposed regulation, the antitrust regulation that yeah. you you know wrote about in the Times this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's the part of the reckoning that. So I would I would argue that um, regulators have largely been asleep at the wheel for a very long period of time. I um, uh, I think if If we were to go back and have an FTC that um, was scrutinizing deals in a more intense way, it probably would have been hard to see the the whatsapp deal with Facebook go through or the Instagram deal or google 's you know corner on advertising technology or the number of mapping companies it owns like there 's just a lot of um of decisions that in retrospect seem like kind of obvious now that like, Oh, these companies are incredibly powerful, but we also, they they also kind of just let it happen. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so uh, this is not me advocating for one way or the other, but it's just sort of uh, regulators are now looking back and saying, okay, well maybe there's ways when we could act or maybe there's uh, we have different recourse or, or the FTC is now like looking more deeply into um, uh, not just Facebook, a number of companies, you know, and, and so is the Department of Justice. So there, there's some action there, but also, like, it's hard to tell how real that is or if if it's, like, sort of theater to make it look like they're smacking the companies. But, I mean, the FTC fine of $5 billion for Facebook, $5 billion is like a rounding error, right? So, like, it's, it's, it's hard for me to determine whether this stuff is going to be a lasting impact or not.
0: Well, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of what this reckoning is about is unintended consequences. Mm. Um, yeah. But when you read, for example, your book, <laughs> you start to feel like, like there's a sense that the regulators aren't going to be able to catch up because, you know, I, I think I compared Mark Zuckerberg before Congress as like the T1000 Terminator <laughs> yeah. to, you know, the old Arnold Schwarzenegger T800 model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which is super nerdy, but there's a <laughs> no, sense that it. they were running circles around him. And when you read your book and you, yeah. you talk about some of the tactics that Uber employed, like Uber foresaw that regulators were going to try to shut them down and, in fact, employed ex spies yep. and came up with these like incredibly complicated programs to by spying on regulators and tricking them into thinking that they were calling cars that never came. I mean, like again, super exciting. <laughs> so it, do, I'm not trying to feed the mythology, but like how far well, behind think, are we when it comes to consequences that on some level, maybe these companies are foreseeing.
1: I think you're totally right. I think that there are, uh, you know, a lot of, I mean, Uber, just, just in the case of Uber, they had so many different advantages on how they attacked the city. Right. Like mm-hmm. it, you, I mean, you can't enforce there's a line that some guy has in there. The law is not what is written; it's what is enforced, yeah. right? And they couldn't enforce. They couldn't stop people from doing the service, right? And then their whole their whole um, plan was to hit a tipping point where people loved it um, so much that they would um, be upset if it went away. So I think I think it's hard to. Uh, when tech is outpacing existing laws, much less, like, enforcing any of those, like, how are you going to even, how is that going to be reined back in? And it's hard, yeah, it's really hard to see that um, without some sort of, like, self-curbing mechanism or at least, like, the companies themselves. I mean, like, to be uh, hopeful or something, you know, some of the companies are saying, you know, we invite regulation, Uh, we, you know, we welcome, like, some of these guidelines, which is, partially disingenuous, but, uh, but I, I think that there's, they're, they're probably like, okay, well let's, let's, um, let's tamp down ourselves before they do it for us. You mm-hmm. know? It's hard. It's a, it's a, it's hard to sort of put the, what metaphor do I want to use? Put this stuff back in the box. Yeah. I'm a terrible writer. Keep it simple. Yeah. stuff <laughs> <laughs> Back in the box. <laughs> gotcha.
0: Um, <laughs> that made me laugh so much that I forgot my question. <laughs> let's actually, though this idea of unintended consequences does remind me of something <laughs> that this same Uber friend said, which was that so one of the things I think that has that these companies have told themselves have told us have told their employees is that they're doing a good thing, yep, and it's easy to forget that the people who work for Uber saw it as a mission driven company yep to you know take cars off the road and make the planet better and remove traffic when it's you know have, it's now been found to do just the opposite right what does that tell you about the way that I don't know the way that companies view themselves or the stories we tell ourselves and, and how it allows things to spiral I
1: think I think um, I think it's kind of split I think there are a lot of people who do believe that they're doing good in the world and I think that um, uh, sometimes they've walked into things where you know they had the best intentions and it still turns out like something horrible can happen as a result of this. I feel like we're in an era of like recognizing the unintended consequences and like being like, Oh my God, how do I deal with this? You know, like that's, that's like a sort of awakening for folks in the industry. Uh, and then I think they're the ones who are probably a little more cynical and, and are, Are are in it because the opportunity is is what it is, you know Or just like realistically like look I have a family. I need to do this or whatever and like sure we have all these goals and stuff, but um, I think I think uh, I think both of those kind of exist one one thing I do think happens though is like maybe early on the the Idealism is very much there Mm -hmm. and then I think once you're in a place of power It's really hard to give up that power, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think every company here that gets to the top just wants to stay at the top and like ask zuckerberg if he's willing to seed share to to snapchat when it came up no instead you clone it and murder it right like that's like it's it's no one wants to lose what they already have and i think that even in the interest of whatever in the in the better good of of how people live and operate or or just or the interest of fairness or whatever. I just don't think, I think once you get to the top, it's hard to like step down from that. Yeah. No matter how idealistic you are.
0: And kind of given that and the ideals, I can't believe I'm going to ask you this. Cause there's a lot of really bad stuff in that book. We didn't even get to the safe rides fee. Oh, yeah. um, but but book. was there, was there any part of the Uber story that you thought was a little unfair? Like, was there any point at which you thought to yourself Compared to other founders mm. who are also not innocent, yep, you know did, was Travis persecuted at all yeah no uh, uh, okay, wrong with me <laughs> I just need to know <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, no, I absolutely think that um, it 's really funny I, actually one there 's like a meme that happens whenever we uncover the royal we of uncovering something that 's unsavory in the valley, right there was a an email tracking program that people dug up the other day, and um, it made a lot of people mad. And they're like, "Oh, this is weird. Like, you're spying on whether I open your email or not. I'm not cool with this. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't like it." And there was a big little, big little backlash. And um, then another wing of folks came out Please and said, big, "Big little backlash. backlash." No, that's my that's my amazing. TV it's series starring Nicole Kidman.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> No. And that's Marissa Meyer.
1: No, right. Right. <laughs> um, but then there were, then there are the folks that come in and say, this is well established. There are companies doing much worse than this. Uh, why are you freaking out about this little thing? And I, I kind of hate that reasoning. It's just sort of, um, it kind of, uh, Uh, says that the past is done with and we are already way ahead of that. Like, you can't sort of voice what you're not comfortable with because there are things happening that are way worse. I don't think that's true at all. I think people can decide what they're comfortable with or not comfortable with. And as we sort of understand more about uh, the way things work around us, then then that sort of, that verdict can come as it will. Uh, I will say that, like, Look, I think Uber had done some things that... um, I think Lyft and Uber uh, kind of were doing similar things. I think Lyft probably gets a better reputation than it should. But that's only because it has Uber as a foil. (laughs) And... uh, Uber, like, to, to be fair to Lyft, like, Uber, like, whatever Lyft would do, Uber would just, like, jack it up that little bit more and make it a little bit more gross and, and, and take it and be, like, the poster child for badness, you know? But, um, but I, I think uh, Lyft probably got, uh, probably got a lot of cover because of that.
0: Yeah. Tell us more about that because I think there is a question – as we explore the (coughs) boundaries of our backlash about, you know, whether some of these companies, even that have a good Airbnb, for example, uh, is a company that I think you can reasonably ask, like, is this a net benefit? Right. Um, So tell us more about what you found out about Lyft in, you know, this research and then how, yeah, how does that compare? What is the relative badness here?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. And that's the thing. Like how, how comfortable you are you with, you know, I guess it's just sort of a question of what are you willing to give up or not give up, right? Or what, how, like, what degree of badness do you want to do in in using these services? I think Lyft. I mean, Lyft has some of the similar questions, right? How do they treat their drivers? Um, and like, are they uh, are there safety issues? I mean, there was a case, there was a, a class action lawsuit the other day about. Um, uh, sexual assaults of uh, of women Lyft driver. I think they were either drivers or riders. I can't remember, but like they have very similar problems that Uber does, uh, though Uber more often gets tagged with them. And and Lyft had said for some time they're going to improve safety, and they they haven't done that yet. So there are um, I think there are just some things about by virtue of being the biggest uh the biggest in the room and and by Uber's sort of brand baggage they have just like issues but i think it's fully fair to to point out what you know i think they all they all just sort of have the same questions around worker protections and labor too yeah. that's one thing i didn't um uh didn't get too deep into in my book just because i feel like there are other there are a few other writers that have done entire books on what has happened to labor as a result of the gig economy. And and some people would argue, you know, there's a bill in Congress or in the California uh, Congress right now uh, called AB5, I believe that's probably going to pass, but it's, it's, uh, you know, talking about turning uh, these workers into employees. Uber is trying to push back. Uber and other companies are trying to push back with a hybrid version of like half, half employee, half worker sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, and some folks are arguing that they have set back a lot of hard-fought protections uh, pretty far. So, I think I think it's it's probably easy to pin a lot on Uber, and they have done some really messed up stuff internally, like specific to them. But these, the the I think the class of companies unlock a whole series of questions on what are we comfortable with and, and the things that we use every day.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I was gonna ask you actually about the the worker factor and mm. how you think when we look back in ten or fifteen years we'll say because you know, unquestionably these companies did create an entire category yep. of labor, an entire category of of I mean almost as disruptive as the App Store, right? The idea that these Vehicles on the road have also enabled all of this delivery. They've yeah. created, you know, opportunities for freight. Uber is in all these <laughs> other businesses, and I wonder how you like see that legacy in 15 years. Are we yeah. going to go? Wow, that was they were kind of jerks, but that was pretty foundational,
1: right? Well, no, okay. So I was on, um, I was, there was, I was on a radio show today, and there were people calling in. There were drivers calling in, right? And we were talking about this bill yeah. 85 and they were there were probably just as many people saying, "I don't want this bill." It's going to make me an employee. I don't want to be an employee. I set my own sort of schedule. I can. I don't have to. Like when I was at Starbucks, I had to clock in at X and clock out at Y, and I don't want to do that. Right? I, I'm sort of like my own person, or I'm uh, just doing this while I until I get my next job. And I want to um, like if this creates if I become an employee, I don't want to do that. You know, that's not. And I think that's. Uh, I think it just depends on who's you know sort of like everyone has like a very different perspective on this. And some folks really believe that this is the overall uh, net result is very damaging to worker protections. And some people really buy into Uber's sort of point where you can say like, look, I'm my own boss right now and, and I can provide my own schedule. So I think there's like a absolutely a counter argument. Um, uh, I'm j- I, I think, I think what we end up with is something in the middle. I think Uber is, Uh, Uber and these other companies have pushed for this hybrid classification where it's like half protections or some uh, concessions, but not like a full protections of a worker uh, of a a normal employee. So I'm guessing that's what's
0: what's here to stay. Yep, We have now reached the point in the program where there's only one question left, which I'm going to give to the audience because this is perfect. What has happened? What, if anything, has taken place since you published the book? That you wished you'd gotten in there oh oh man okay yeah Uh,
1: the um, it was like a week it was a week before publication um, and I get a call on like a Monday or something from someone saying you need to be down in San Jose tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever I was like okay what is is going on it turns out um, We didn't get into this, but the main self-driving car uh, engineer at Uber, Anthony Lewandowski, uh, was indicted by the Department of Justice on 33 counts of of theft of trade secrets and attempted theft of trade secrets. And and I detail that in the book, and I detail this sort of overarching battle, but it was still a question mark on whether this guy was going to get his got to get comeuppance or whatever. And now he's, you know, he's innocent until proven guilty, but he's, he's facing a hard time and the government is going after him. So missed that by a week. I wish I could have been there, but I wrote a story on it. At least
0: least you got the book done. Yeah. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to Mike Isaac, tech reporter for the New York Times. He is the author of the new book, Super Pumped. (laughs) Super Pumped. (laughs) Super Pumped. We do like a chant, I think. Super pumped. Super pumped. The battle for Uber. Uh, we want to remind you here that copies of Super Pumped are available for purchase. Mike will be happy to sign your book right after he signs mine outside the room in just a minute. I'm Molly Wood. On behalf of myself, Mike, and the Commonwealth Club, thanks for coming tonight. Thank you.